in the horror genre. I'm your host, Nicole, and it's time to share another dark tale. brothers and sisters, and welcome to the next installment in the Religion and Horror series. Today, we will be discussing Midsummer, written and directed by Ari Aster. Uh, and as promised, I have a guest with me today. She is what I like to call a classic light and shadow guest. So I want to give a big warm welcome back to Sunny. Yay! Hi! Thanks for having me back. I'm so excited, especially for this topic. It's going to be so much fun. Of course, of course. So how are things in uh, back home in Lakeland? Oh, you know, hot, sweaty, the <laughs> usual. You're not missing much. <laughs> same old, same old. Yeah, you mean it's not like a beautiful pastoral midsummer celebration? It's more like time oh, in hell? Don't I wish, you know? I mean, I guess that depends on who you ask, but yeah, I would give anything to be in uh, Sweden right now. Even if it was in a cold, that's fine. (laughs) fine. As long as the weather is nice. Yeah, that's that's all we care about. So before we get into the film discussion today, the audience has heard my story about my religious background. So if you're comfortable sharing, I would love to hear what your religious background is, because like you and I have sort of orbited around it, but I've never heard your story. Mm -hmm. So what is your religious background? Oh my gosh. Well, um, full disclosure, definitely a Christmas and Easter Christian, right? That's, that's kind of how I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, we were also Methodist, which I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but seems to be more of like the laid back Christian <laughs> out of yeah. all the different like sects of Christianity. Um, so we're Methodist and probably because, you know, it was pretty laid back and easy. So, I mean, my parents, um, my mom, you know, was fairly religious. My dad kind of just went with the flow. She dragged him to church. You know, he was going. Mm-hmm. Um, I did do confirmation when I was in, oh gosh, I think sixth grade. And that was an experience. And I also went to a Lutheran uh, private school in sixth grade. And frankly, I, I did not like it. Um, but I think it was for a lot of different reasons <laughs> other than, you know. But after that, yeah, I kind of just, uh, I mean, I did a lot of, you know, Sunday school um, when I was younger, a lot of like Bible study classes, like during the summer and things like that. And as I got older, you know, we all start asking, you know, bigger questions and blah, blah, blah. I kind of drifted away from it a little bit. Um, and uh, I, I felt like I was a kid that, that asked a lot of questions. And at the time, I felt like I wasn't getting them answered. So I went to college, I did all the soul searching and blah, blah, blah. And I wouldn't say that I subscribe to anything um, in particular, but I've kind of learned to uh, sort of embrace the mystery as corny as that sounds, maybe, you know, just trying to be a good person, you know, find, um, find something good while I'm here. And that's, that's kind of it. It's pretty boring, actually, Nicole. It's not as exciting as like, 
you know, snake handling or speaking in tongues or anything like that. So, well, I do love, um, I love how you summed it up with embracing the mystery. Like that's actually a really beautiful way, I think, to look at life and spirituality. And I think that a lot of times when we are open to that and like open to questions and different experiences and not having to have like a solid answer for everything. I mean, I think that's, that's a really great uh, kind of open and true way to live. So thank yeah. you for sharing that with me. And I, I know though also, and we can, you know, we can talk about this a little bit more when we talk about your art later on, but um, I do find it really fascinating that even though you're not really a religious person that you're drawn to like the Catholic imagery and oh, the Amish yes. imagery, there's, there's something like there's an appeal there for you that I find very interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, and we'll get into this probably when we talk midsummer, but, um, you know, ritual is pretty prominent throughout most religions. And I think I love just any sort of practice with ritual and obviously like the visual element too, that goes along with a lot of these practices, right? Like just surrounding yourself or immersing yourself, you know, in the iconography, just really feeling like, you know, you're a part of this experience. So being like uh, again submersing yourself sort of in that realm i don't know just it kind of brings out that magic and mystery a little bit right yeah. so yeah i think i think a lot of people you know are, are drawn to the beauty of it i mean you don't have to necessarily be religious to walk into like you know one of these beautiful catholic churches and just be in awe of, of and in, honestly inspired too by by what you see absolutely well and i think that um i've been intrigued by sort of the the overlap of, you know, religion and horror, but I do think there's a lot of, you know, they have a lot of similarities and a lot of parallels. And I think a lot of it has to do with what you're mm -hmm. talking about, this like this imagery um, and how it does. It sucks you in. And I feel like a certain type of person kind of sees some of the same qualities in like genre mm -hmm. films and in religious practice. So which, again, is the main reason why I'm doing this religion and horror series is because it's always been fascinating to me. But then I, I've come across so many people who who get that. And I'm like, OK, so mm -hmm. there's definitely something here to explore. So my last uh, episode was Midnight Mass. And that was, I guess, my first mm -hmm. real religion and horror episode. And that show is really straightforward, like super clear. What's I mean, it's maybe the strongest religion and horror thing I've ever personally watched, I think. So mm -hmm. Midsummer is a little different. And to me, Midsummer is really not really a film about religion, but about relationships. And of course, mm -hmm. Ari Aster has talked about that. It's his breakup movie. Um, mm -hmm. But clearly, the culture of the community, the plot of the film I mean, is largely centered around religious beliefs, customs, how it all works. So it's definitely fair game for this. So I didn't really choose this film, though, even though. So I put it out to like my little horror group. If I do this series, what films are you interested in? What would you want to come on and talk about? And a few people brought up Midsummer, and Midsummer and The Exorcist are the two that I was like, I don't really want to do those <laughs> movies. <laughs> um, Why didn't you want to do Midsummer? Well, I mean, Exorcist kind of just feels like it's it's sort of the obvious choice, right? That's the that's the default. But why Midsummer? So Exorcist, I was like, what am I going to say that somebody else hasn't already said? Mm. But I will tell you, Nat is coming on for that one. She talked me into oh, it. Ah, 
so cool. Oh. I was like, Nat, I will do anything you want me to do. I will do it. Nat so. will school, like, yeah, she she knows her stuff. Yeah. So Midsummer to me, I think part of the reason why I didn't want to do it is, again, like, it's been so popular. There's been a lot said about it. I mean, people have done it. People have talked about it. People have found tons in it. So, again, I was like, I'm not really sure what I can bring to the conversation. And because for me personally, it's really such a such a movie about toxic relationships. So when I watched it, it really resonated with me on that level. And I wasn't thinking of really about the religious aspects of it. Mm-hmm. However, when you said you wanted to do it, again, kind of like with Nat, I was like, well, then great, we're going to do it because <laughs> it'll be fun. It's a beautiful movie that I do enjoy. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I don't want to talk about it. But I was like, Sunny is passionate about this, so she will bring it. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you want to talk about it? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, first of all, every time I watch this movie, I feel like I, I see something different. Um, but actually, I'd really love to touch on, I think, something we sort of talked about you know, um, off the record here, I loved that one of the things that you touched on was how this movie sort of feels like, or very akin to evangel, like Christian evangelism. Um, I don't know that many people would agree with this point of view, but, um, I would argue that Danny's, um, presence in Sweden or how she gets there, it was, was predestined, right? I, I think they had this mapped out and the way that she is brought into this cult, can we say it's cult, right? Um, we, can, <laughs> is brought yeah, into this, we can use yeah. that word, I think. Sure. <laughs> brought into this group, this religious group. <laughs> they, they identified, I mean, now, you know, I'm getting into some kind of rough territory here. I'm not saying that all evangelist Christian movements have this agenda, um, but we're kind of getting into you know, um, maybe the darker side of that where someone identifies a weakness, preys upon it, you know, um, brings you in, you know, this carrot on the stick sort of um, charade brings you in with the promise of like for her, it was family, right? You know, you're going to belong to this family, you know, we're going to take care of you, we're going to provide for you. Um, I, I mean, when, um, you know, when Danny and oh my gosh, how do you say, is it I haven't. I have it written down Pe- here. Pele, Pele. Okay, yeah, I just want to make sure, sure I, I get yeah. it right here. Okay, so when Pele and Danny are having that conversation, right in the um, in their room, and he says that famous line, "Do you feel held by him?" When he's referring to Christian, mm-hmm. um, again, like we're we're talking family. I mean, and not even in the traditional aspect, but like who you choose to surround yourself by, which also brings up another interesting question: Do you choose your family? Can you choose your family? Like, are you? I don't know. There, again, I think evangelism is is something that really stuck with me in terms of like religion and horror for this theme, um, because no matter what type of religion you associate it with, I, I think they all have their own version of that, or potentially have their own version mm-hmm. of that, if that's your goal. Um, So that was a really big theme that um, I had picked up on. Yeah, and we will get more into that here in a little bit because um, this was only my second viewing of Midsummer. It's one of those I've been meaning to revisit. And this time watching it specifically with the religious lens, I did find myself 
seeing some similar things that I've seen, you know, in my own uh, church experience growing up that I didn't expect Mm -hmm. to find. So I have a few Mm -hmm. examples that I want to talk about a little later on. But before we get too far down the film analysis road, spoilers ahead, folks. I told you that I want to go to that festival in Sweden. No, you said it would be cool to go. Yeah, and then I got the opportunity and I decided Look, I to do it. I don't mind you going. I just wish you would have told me. That's all. Dude, she needs a therapist. You've been wanting out of this stupid relationship for like a year now. And don't forget about all of the beautiful Swedish women you'll meet in June. Okay, guys. That's not her again. Seriously? Babe, what's happening? Danny. I was so very sorry to hear about what happened. I'm sorry. I invited Danny to come to Sweden. You know what she's been going through? Christian says you've got this special week planned. It's sort of a crazy festival. Special ceremonies and dressing up. That sounds fun. Unbelievable. Welcome and happy midsummer. Skoll! What time is it? 9 p.m. That can't be right. The sky is blue. This is what 9 p.m. is like here. <laughs> How long have you two been together? Just over three and a half years. Four years. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? It's like another world. Tomorrow's a big day. Is it scary? What is it? It has special properties. What am I going through? We just need to acclimate. I don't want to acclimate. I want to go. Absolutely not. What's happening? I don't know why you invited us. That's why you look so guilty right now, because you know. We only do this every 90 years. I was most excited for you to come. (sighs) College student Danny Arter calls her parents but is sent to voicemail. She expresses concern over her bipolar sister, Terry, who left her a cryptic message recently. Danny then calls her boyfriend, Christian, who is hanging out with his buddies, Josh, Mark, and Pele. Christian assures Danny this is just another one of Terry's episodes, but he adds that Danny only feeds into Terry's antics. After he hangs up, she gets a call from an unknown number. Josh and Mark think Christian should just end it with Danny since it's clear he's wanted out of the relationship for a while. And as they are planning an upcoming trip to Sweden, Pele suggests that they will meet lots of other women. Danny calls Christian again and is wailing hysterically. We then see authorities going into Danny's parents' home where Terry has flooded the house with carbon monoxide, killing her parents before stuffing the tube into her mouth and taping it there. Christian goes to Danny's apartment to console her. Several months later, Danny tries to contain her grief. She hangs out with Christian and his friends and learns about their trip to Sweden to a midsummer celebration in the Harga, a village where Pele grew up. Celebration occurs every 90 years and lasts about nine days. Josh, in particular, is interested since he wants to write about the experience for his anthropology dissertation. 
Christian invites Danny to be nice, and although she accepts, Christian thinks she doesn't want to go since she's still reeling from the murder-suicide. However, Danny is more upset that Christian is only now telling her about the trip, which they are set to leave for within two weeks. Danny and Christian go to hang out with his friends. While he steps out of the room, Pele talks to Danny about the Midsummer celebration and their tradition of choosing a May Queen at the end of the celebration. Pele also tries to console Danny over her loss, stating that his parents had also passed away, but the mere mention of it triggers her and she goes to the bathroom to cry. Danny joins Christian and his friends for the trip. They drive out to the Harga and meet Pele's brother Ingmar, plus an English couple named Simon and Connie. The group takes magic mushrooms, but Ingmar offers Danny a special tea since it has a better taste. She agrees to it and initially enjoys the trip until Pele says that the group is like his family. The word gets to Danny and she goes to take a walk. She starts to experience a bad trip and gets paranoid when another high group of friends she comes across starts laughing in her direction. Danny goes to hide in a shed but is mortified by what appears to be Terry behind her. She then runs into the woods where the trees appear to morph around her before she passes out. She briefly dreams about Terry and their parents. Danny wakes up next to Christian six hours later. They join their friends in going back towards the village to meet the rest of the Harga community. Josh inquires about the many cultural aspects of the festival and the community, but when he asks about a mysterious golden temple in the distance, he doesn't get a direct answer. A girl named Maja shows interest in Christian by playfully kicking him as he sits in a circle. Pele later gifts Danny with a drawing of herself for her birthday. She mentions that Christian forgot her birthday, but he later gives her a slice of cake to make up for it. When asked how long they have been together, Christian thinks it has been just over three years, but Danny corrects him and says they have been together for four years. Pele then brings his friends to the place where they will be sleeping. The following day, the group joins the community for a feast. Two of the eldest villagers are the guests of honor, and they practice a breathing exercise before the whole community follows them to the edge of a cliff. The elders cut their hands as they walk by the edge. The newcomers watch in horror as the elder woman drops herself off the cliff and lands face first onto a rock, leaving them to witness her gruesome faceless skull. The elder man leaps off as well, but he only shatters his leg. He moans in agony, and the villagers mimic the sound of his moaning. Three of the villagers proceed to smash his head with a sledgehammer. Simon and Connie express their absolute horror while Danny goes back to her room. An elder villager woman, Siv, explains to the group that this is a natural part of their ritual, as the two elders reached what they felt was the end of their life cycle, and prolonging it further would have been bad. Pele goes to comfort Danny, thinking that her distress is linked more to her recent tragedy than it is to what she just witnessed. He attempts to console Danny, but she thinks him getting close to her is inappropriate since Christian could come in. Pele then questions how much Christian really means to Danny based on how he is around her. Danny later has a nightmare that Christian and his friends are leaving without her. They drive away in the middle of the night as she watches them go and she is plagued by haunting imagery of her dead family and the corpses of the two elders. After what they saw, Simon and Connie plan to leave, but when Connie is ready to go, she is told that Simon went off with another villager to the train that would take them home. Connie is angered that Simon would leave without her, and she proceeds to walk off on her own. 
Meanwhile, Christian tells Josh he also wants to do his thesis on the Harga, but Josh is not happy about that. He argues that Christian could never just do his own thing instead of picking off what Josh is doing. Christian offers to ask the elders if they are allowed to collaborate on the project. Josh later learns that the village's ritualistic practices are based on paintings made by a member named Reuben, a deformed boy who was the product of incest but is viewed as a prophet. Josh asks to take pictures of Reuben's drawing, but he is forbidden. The elders' bodies are buried in the middle of the village. Their ashes are spread across an ancestral tree, which Mark pisses on. He is scolded by Ulf, who actually breaks down sobbing in the act. Mark is then told the significance of the tree, but he has a callous reaction over it. Elsewhere, Christian and Josh are told that they are allowed to collaborate on their thesis on the condition that they omit the actual images and location of the Harga. The two agree. Christian also asks about the village's mating rituals, inquiring as to whether incest was typical there, and he is told that incest isn't necessarily frowned upon, but outsiders are usually brought in to procreate with the villagers. A feast is then held where Mark notices Ulf is staring daggers in his direction. Danny also overhears that Connie was taken to the station by one of the villagers. Mark is then taken away by a female villager and the others never see him again. Later that night, Josh sneaks into the room where Ruben's book of paintings is kept. He is interrupted by who he thinks is Mark before he gets bludgeoned over the head. We then see that the figure is actually a villager wearing Mark's face. Josh is then dragged away. The next morning, Danny, Christian, and Pele are told that Ruben's book has gone missing, and Josh and Mark disappearing looks suspicious. Afterwards, Danny joined the women in the village in a competition where they dance around a maypole before each woman is eliminated. After taking a drug, Danny finds herself being able to speak in Swedish with the other women. Danny is the last one standing, and she is crowned the May Queen. At the same time, Christian is given a drink that induces a trip. He is lured and taken to take Maja's virginity. He has sex with her while the other elder females stand nude around them and mimic Maja's moaning. After Danny is crowned May Queen, she watches Christian having sex with Maja through a hole in the door, which causes her to have a breakdown. She goes to cry, and the other women join her, sympathetically crying loudly with her. After climaxing, a mortified Christian runs out to try and find Danny, but he ends up discovering Josh's leg buried in the dirt, as well as Simon's mutilated corpse being used as a blood eagle. Moments later, he is found and knocked out when a villager blows powder in his face. The end of the ritual draws near, and the elders bring the drugged Christian along with a villager before Danny, as she is supposed to choose someone for a sacrifice. As per tradition, nine people are to be sacrificed. This includes the two elders, four outsiders, two living volunteers, and one chosen by Danny. She chooses Christian. The men in the village take a fully grown bear and disembowel it so they can place Christian inside the bear's corpse. They bring him Ingmar, and the corpses of Simon, Connie, Josh, and Mark to the Yellow Temple, which is then set on fire. Unable to move or speak, Christian succumbs to his fate while only being able to wheeze in pain while Ulf screams in terror and Ingmar watches. 
The villagers mimic the screams while Danny appears to break down from what is happening again. However, as she continues to watch the temple go up in flames and hears the unified wailing of the villagers, a demented smile begins to form on her face. And that synopsis was provided by IMDb, so if there are any tiny details that are wrong, don't at me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so before we get into the specifics, the further specifics of this film, Sunny, I see that you have dug up a little bit of history of the Midsummer Mm. Celebration, and would you care Mm -hmm. to share that with us? Give us a little education. Oh my gosh. Sure, I will do my best. Um, so one of the things that I looked at um, was whether or not Midsummer, as portrayed in the movie, is an actual holiday or ritual, whatever you want to call it. And it is. However, you know, a, a bit dramatized in the movie, way more extreme. Um, there's no human sacrifice, <laughs> for example. Are you sure? Um, <laughs> I mean, as far as I know, I've never been to Sweden. I haven't been recruited yet. Um, you know, hopefully one day, but you know, um, <laughs> but no, um, Midsummer, you know, this is debatable, um, is supposedly a celebration of St. John the Baptist's life. And in some countries, they refer to it as uh, St. John's Day. Um, it has a couple different names, but as with most things in Christianity, um, when, uh, you know, the spread of it was, was being uh, popularized, they adapted a lot of pagan practices in order to kind of like integrate those beliefs into something already existing. So we see a lot of like mishmash, right. And in the midsummer practice, there are some things that have existed probably, you know, that even in the pagan, you know, rituals, they can't quite pinpoint where certain traditions came from or what they mean. They've just always done them, right? And then on top of that, like I said, you have this these layered elements of, of you know, Christianity. So it's kind of interesting. We see that a lot, right? Christmas and Easter. We were talking about that earlier, yep. right? <laughs> so 100%. <laughs> yeah, so there's your there's your religion and horror. Um, but anyway, so yeah, there's there's a lot of different elements. And I mean, we can get into the details of what the specific, you know, practices of a traditional midsummer are. But definitely the maypole is a big part of it. The celebration of, of spring. Um, there is a May Queen that is picked. And yeah, it's it's really just a big celebration to welcome summer. And again, it, it's still practiced today, whether traditionally or just, you know, Again, just a general kind of celebration, but a big part of it is community and people gathering together. Um, it's it's all about family, um, and I think, a, in fact, a big part of it um, has to do with children gathering around the maypole. And I think it's called like the frog song or something like that. But the, I mean, from what I understand, like it's not midsummer unless they perform, you know, this dance and song, right? So again, there are elements, um, but you know, Ari Aster made it a lot creepier, which I personally enjoy. But yes, there is some, there is a little bit of truth in the midsummer celebration, just not as scary. <laughs> yeah, not as scary. And I, um, I really loved when they told that little story about why they do the maypole. I can't remember a specific, mm-hmm. like all the specifics, but it was something about like the devil came to the village and so, mm-hmm. and there was mm-hmm. something to do with that. And that's why they do like the maypole dance and everything. Oh, it was like they, oh, they, he made them dance until they died. That's what it was. Yes. And so they still do the maypole like dance, like in defiance of the devil or whatever. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's a cool story. I don't know if that's a true Pretty story metal. or not, but I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's whether based on a true story or just uh, made up by Ari Aster, that's a really fun little story, which of course well, I love that folk, kind of folklore stuff. 
It kind of calls back to to um, uh, the Rite of Spring, right? I'm not sure if you're familiar with that play, but that's been around for a, a long time. And that, again, calls back to a lot of traditional, like, Swedish tradition where, yes, I, I think it was the same practice where women would wear these traditional outfits and dance until they collapse. And I think that really was the um, the myth behind it. Have you ever done, like, a maypole dance or, like, <sighs> no, done the ribbons around the maypole? I gotta, I gotta find my coven first and then, you know, (laughs) I wish I would love to experience that. I have definitely done the maypole with the ribbons, like Mm -hmm. maybe just at school or something. Like I have a memory of like seeing that or doing that, but of course it was just like a generic thing we did. There was no, no like pagan implications tied to it. You guys didn't sew anyone into a bear or, you know, (laughs) take magic mushrooms or anything. No, unfortunately, <laughs> not not in the like third grade. No. Yeah, you have to wait till you're a little older. Um, I know that I think they do uh, maples to like Renaissance festivals and stuff like that. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. That sounds very Ren Fair-ish. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, okay, so we talked a little bit about the uh, the evangelical kind of implications, and I would like to dig a little mm-hmm. bit more into that now that we've. Now that we've sort of gotten the obvious pagan stuff out of the way. So there are a few points that really struck me. Overall, the feeling that this whole world is, it's bright and sunny and cheery mm. and colorful. You know, it's got that Texas chainsaw effect to it where it's a horror movie, but it's all in the daylight. Um, oh my gosh. But there's something dark going on underneath it. And I feel like a lot of times in in modern churches, that's one of the things that sort of rubbed me the wrong way as I got older is, you know, everything's always positive and everything's always cheery and like we don't talk about the negative and like, you know, everything's all, but then you're, you're like, but, but that's not how life really is. And that's not how humans really are. You know, everything's not mm-hmm. just sunny and cheery and perfect all the time. It's a little bit of a, of like a mask. Um, mm-hmm. And so how, you know, everybody's kind of just trying to go along. Everything's fine. And then we find out everything's not fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that that resonated with me. Um, also, like you said earlier, Pele strikes me as like the all-time evangelist. He kind of slowly builds this relationship with Danny so he can basically like convert her at the opportune time. And of course, everybody in his group serves like some specific purpose in this group cult, whatever we're calling it. (laughs) And I do think, well, I want to ask you this question a little little bit later, but the, okay. The mushrooms, whenever they get there and Danny takes the mushrooms, but like, she's clearly not comfortable with it. She doesn't really want to take mushrooms. She's just, she just does it to like go along with the group. And um, I feel like that's another thing in church settings. It can be very difficult to say no to like experiences that you're not comfortable with because you feel like you're it's what you're supposed to do to like be a good practicing Christian and especially growing up in Pentecostal churches you know it wasn't like speaking in tongues wasn't like a oh some people have this gift like some people have this ability it was no 
every single person, if you're a true Christian, like you're supposed to at some point get this ability and like you're expected Mm -hmm. to like go down to the altar and like pray to speak in tongues. And if you can't do it, if there's something wrong with you, like there's something Mm -hmm. like you don't have the faith or you didn't act right Right. or your life is like not in order or something. Mm -hmm. But like that in particular was something you were like pressured to do, whether you Mm -hmm. were comfortable or not. And like whether you're an adult or a child or whatever, you're like convinced there are certain things you need to do, you know, so that, so that struck me. And then of course we watch her kind of unravel at some point after that. Right. So clearly she did not need to be taking mushrooms in the middle of the field. So do you think that this was all predestined for these folks to end up at Harga because Pele did not know Danny was coming. Pele did not invite Danny. She ends up mm-hmm. just on the trip and she ends up being the May Queen. But also every single one of his friends just so happens to fit the perfect role. So are we to believe that that is coincidence and Pele capitalized on it? Or is there some kind of supernatural element orchestrating this whole thing? I mean, I personally think it was... Um they set this up. I think that, so one thing that I've read about this movie is Ari Aster, when they're asking about, you know, pretty much the same question. He always responds to look at the walls, right? He drops all these wonderful little Easter eggs throughout the film. And I feel like once I started viewing it through that lens, I was able to see, see some things that just didn't quite add up. Um, From the very beginning, one of the things that struck me when they're panning through the house after the parents have been killed, right, and the sister supposedly commits suicide, you look at the sister's um, positioning of her body and the way that she chose to kill herself. She has the hose taped to her face, and she looks like she is struck with pure horror. Mm -hmm. To me, that looks staged, as if someone came in and already had done the deed, and then set it up as if to look like a murder-suicide, right? And then you have all these other kind of interesting little Easter eggs where when everyone else comes to the village along with Pele, right, the other guests are kind of greeted and say, welcome, welcome. They look at Danny, welcome home. You know, they hug her and welcome her home. I think that, again, and oh my gosh, there's so many. This was one element of the film, again, might be slightly off topic, but what I, Again, I guess if we're talking about evangelism, predestined versus, you know, by design, I guess, um, I I feel that this was was set up. And the more I watched the film, the more I think uh, they, they had Danny, you know, pegged from the very beginning. One theory is that her parents were former members and that um, Terry, right, Uh, Terry was actually their real daughter. Danny was an adopted daughter. And they knew that someday she was going to have to make her way back to the cult, the group, whatever. Um, So this was kind of their way of bringing her back, right? Because like we talked about earlier, they need outsiders in order to continue, you know, to grow their family. I think they wanted Danny back. And I think that like any good (laughs) recruiter, you kind of drop these earworms, right? And you, you are very good at making someone think that this is their idea, their belief. Because what is the best way to indoctrinate somebody, right? It's not by force. 
It's by making them feel like, you know, either preying upon a weakness or making them feel seen or heard. And we see that a lot. Again, I'm not going to pick on Christianity necessarily, but we see it in a lot of different um, religious practices, right? Um, uh, That's something that actually recently, uh, (laughs) don't laugh, but um, I actually went to a tent revival recently just to kind of check it out. And uh, I hadn't been to one. Yeah. And um, when you were talking about earlier how people sort of feel like, you know, um, they have to go along with this, you know, ideas that, you know, maybe don't necessarily fit into their own, you know, morale, or maybe they're doing something that they wouldn't normally do because, you know, um, they, they want to fit in with this group. And that was something that I felt like as an outsider, I really could see happening people speaking in tongues or falling over. Um, and it, it does make it, you know, it's, there's something about it, you know, there's, there's this like tremendous sense of like wanting to belong or wanting to like solve, like, you know, be maybe some deep inner turmoil, physical, mental, whatever. And I think that's, you know, kind of what, well, very much what happens with deity, you know? Yeah, I agree. Um, because I think, you know, a lot of people turn to religion when they hit rock bottom. You see a lot mm. of uh, addicts turn to religion, a lot of prisoners mm-hmm. turn to religion. Um, and just people in general, a lot of times that's when they, like, find God is when they when they hit mm-hmm. rock bottom. And, you know, ultimately that's what happens to Danny. Like, she's completely broken. She has no one to comfort her. She's not dealt with this trauma really at all. And so she embraces this, this group, you know, and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think for a lot of people who, who, who hit rock bond and and embrace religion, it's a great thing. You know, it's, it's part of their healing. It helps them stay Mm -hmm. anchored. It's genuine. Um, but for, for others, like you said, it can make, make people an easy target. And I think, Mm -hmm. unfortunately in this movie, Danny is that person um, mm-hmm. and even though Pele seems very, not like the other guys, he seems more understanding and more kind. And, uh, the people in the village seem, they have like their rules and they don't want to be disrespected, but they're also like pretty tolerant, pretty accepting, pretty open. So it makes it easier for Danny to kind of go along, even though clearly uncomfortable things are mm. happening, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, in what other setting could you, you know, I, I think that's, it's kind of tremendous bait, like you said, have this very kind, easygoing attitude, and then you witness something like the elders, you know, um, jumping off this cliff. Um, how do you normalize something like that? It's like, well, they're really nice and, and caring, and they provide in like all of these other aspects, but I just witnessed this really horrible thing, and you have this like, crazy just inner like you know turmoil or inner conflict that happens like wow like I really know that this is wrong but at the same time like look how happy and together everybody is like how they rationalize it and justify it it's a great honor you know I mean you you see that a lot in in certain religious practices Mm -hmm. you know you're witness to some pretty crazy things but you know it's for the greater good. There's a there's a purpose for it. So I actually want to ask you about that because Clearly, that is the big OMG moment of the movie Mm. when we watch Mm -hmm. um, the elders sacrifice. There's a term for it that I did not write down. Um, It is called. I do hang on because I want to make sure that I pronounce it properly. At estupa, at estupa. (laughs) Yeah. So that and and I love how they set it up too because they Pele mentions it and Josh knows what it is. 
And the fact that he doesn't think, oh, my friend whose parents just died, maybe I should give her a heads up. Doesn't even think that's necessary. That's a whole other problem. But after it happens, because we are shocked and everyone is shocked, but the two people, I think they're from England, uh, Simon and Mm -hmm, Connie, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they are like super upset and the the other yeah yeah, the like the basically the leader the elder woman i think her name is Siv. um you know Mm -hmm. she just goes to them very calmly and just tries to explain what they just saw she's like this is this is how we live our life instead of being old and sick we choose our time of death and it's beautiful and i thought well how interesting is that so my question for you is if you like witnessed this and then you got that explanation from this person and you're in this culture, you don't know how they live, you don't fully understand, like, would that comfort you? Would it cause you to pause? Or you would you just be like, no, nah. Oh, man, that's a hard question. <laughs> I mean, seeing something like that would obviously be very, very, very shocking. Um, this might, you know, maybe I'm a really bad person to ask, because I probably could be recruited to a cult very easily. I'm, I'm definitely a people pleaser. And I try to be very open minded and understanding. Um, even if I'm seeing like two people that jumped off a cliff. I mean, the only part of it that would give me pause is that they chose it, right? Um, this was something that, you know, and she's, I think she says that too, um, in so many words that, you know, they gladly, like this was an honor for them. They laid down their life. And when it's my turn, I'm going to, you know, do the same lay down my life. But I don't know. I just, as far as stomaching something like that, that would be pretty gnarly. Um, yeah. Again, like, yeah. What do you do in that situation? Because like you said, you have someone like Josh who is looking at it from a purely like anthropological aspect. And it's like, you know, oh, really, really trying to understand it. But then we view him as very, like, coldly indifferent, right? Um, yes. And obviously, Danny is very disturbed by it um, and confronts, I think, Christian about it later, right? Um, she's like, are you not disturbed by what we just saw? He's like, yeah, that was that was really disturbing. Like, And then he kind of moves on to how he's going to report on it. Yep. So I think that conversation, it's funny, you know, or interesting, you know, point, um, that conversation kind of happens within the film, too. So it's it's a very, like, push and pull thing. Because you don't want to disrespect someone's religion, right? That's what we're kind of brought up. But, you know, you can have your own boundaries and your own morals and values without, you know, disrespecting someone else's belief. But as far as, like, mortality, I mean, that's a... That's a very, very hard line to to walk. (laughs) Well, and seeing it and even as shocking as it is in an Ari Aster film, seeing something like that in real life would be very difficult to to process and understand no matter what. Right. Yeah. But I I ask myself that question when I watch it and I'm like, oh, no, like. Well, and because then the the question you know goes deeper is even if they chose it, it's like well they cho- did they choose it because they've been conditioned for so long to think that this was the right way to do it, you know? So there, it's it's hard to say. Yeah, it is. It is. But that's why we love movies like this. Yes. <laughs> So since we're talking about uh, this disturbing scene, do you want to talk about uh, other moments that we found scary in this movie? Oh, my gosh. It is a horror movie. Well, obviously, you know, that was pretty disturbing um, because you see it happen and then you're like, oh, that was that was pretty awful. And you think like more or less it's over. Nope. They zoom in right on that guy's face and pow, you know, we get that lovely you know, body horror, like gory element of it. Right. Mm -hmm. 
But the more I watch this movie and the more I understand how this doesn't feel like this, the, the turn of events that bring Danny, you know, to this group, like it's, it doesn't feel like a coincidence anymore. I think that's what disturbs me because Danny throughout the film seems like a very empathetic person. She's completely different than Christian or Josh or Mark. Um, and, you know, she thinks that she's found some sort of kinship with someone who really cares, who really wants her to feel like, you know, she belongs to this loving, caring family who's going to love and support her, blah, blah, blah. So to know that or to see her go through this transformation where, like you said, at the end, like when she actually chooses Christian to be the one to be sacrificed, we see this very sinister smile on this face, on her face, um, to me, it's it's such a disturbing, you know, revelation. And it makes me wonder, like, does Danny, like, what if Danny ever found out that, that they had set her up in this way? I mean, imagine people who are in, you know, highly um, religious groups or cults kind of realizing, like, how the sausage is made, more or less, right? I mean, how mind-blowing is that, you know, for someone to come to terms with. So can you imagine her being in this isolated place thinking like she's overcome this really traumatic event in her life. She's found her group, found her family. And not only does she, or would she realize that she's a part of something pretty sinister, but they all committed these acts of murder, you know, intentionally as, as part of this ritual, as part, you know, of a means to keep her there. So for me, I think it's it's Danny's transformation that, that freaks me out the most. But what about you? So when I first saw this, like I saw it, I didn't go see it in theaters. I'm really bad about seeing like new horror. It takes me a while. Same. And yeah. <laughs> um, so I watched it one evening alone. It was dark outside. And the scene when they, fought, when they show her sister with the hose mm-hmm. in her mouth, I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, yeah, that hit me like a ton of bricks. That scene is so heavy. And then, of course, after that, we get like it shows the snow and we get like the title sequence and everything. And it's just so like it just and her be- just wailing. Yes. And, yes. It just feels mm-hmm. so heavy. Um, it's a beautiful mm-hmm. contrast to the rest of the movie, mm-hmm. really. Um, but that that scene hit me really hard. And then um, when Christian like discovers all the sacrifices, like all the dead bodies mm. just littered throughout the compound, because everything has just been sort of vaguely ominous and just like a mm-hmm. little bit off. And the fact that he's naked when it happens makes it scarier because you're like, oh, you're like, he's so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just drugged you and coerced you into having sex with, with this woman and now you're naked discovering dead bodies. Like, he does not know what is happening. So, like, that whole scene is very, I think, disorienting for him and mm-hmm. for us. Um, but I also find her kind of transformation very disturbing as well. And, like, you see this movie touted as one of those, like, good-for-her movies, mm-hmm. um, which I get it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, m- making light of the fact that, you know, she – she uh, puts her boyfriend in a bear suit and burns the temple. Like I like the cathartic <laughs> imagery of that, like as from mm-hmm. a breakup movie, like I like it from that standpoint. Um, but I, uh, I asked myself, even the first time I watched it, I was like, he don't, he doesn't deserve to die. No, you know, they had a, a rough relationship and they didn't need to be together, but like, we don't see him abuse her. 
There's no evidence he's cheated on her up until the Maja thing. There's no evidence that, like, he's a bad person. They're just, Mm -hmm. they're in this relationship. They're not good for each other. So I'm just like, he didn't deserve to die, though, (laughs) you know? Um, And so that's another question I wanted to ask you, like, which I think I know the answer. But if you were Danny and it was your choice, would you choose lottery winning Harga native or would you choose Christian? Oh, man. I mean, in that moment, you know, who wouldn't be pissed off and be like, yeah, you can, you, you can toss him in there. That's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, it's it's tough because, like you said, it, you want to root for her in the sense of, like, good for her kind of thing. But really all it comes down to is, like, this entire movie, you just see a woman being manipulated. And exactly. she has not come out on the other side. So, I mean, even that being said, like, it's hard to say as an outsider seeing again, how all of the strings are being pulled. I mean, that would be really difficult. A part of me almost thinks that, you know, I would choose a native person because, you know, they, they expect this, like this is what, you know, they've been, you know, brought up with. So maybe for them, it would feel less scary (laughs) than it would for Christian. But I would like to say I wouldn't throw anybody in a fire, but you know. Yeah, I know. Like at that point, though, she's not, she's not even like capable of being like neither. Uh, can mm-hmm. somebody take me to the airport? Like, yeah, you know, because basically, it is it's a bummer for her because you know we've we've watched her trapped with people who don't really care about her, and she doesn't. Mm-hmm. These people aren't really her friends. Christian's not really a good boyfriend, and so surface level it sort of appears that she's escaped that but all she's really done is just traded one manipulative relationship for another one and probably yeah, a worse way one. worse yeah i would i would say that too yeah how are you going to get out of this if you couldn't break up with your boyfriend in the regular world how are you going to get out of this remote group in sweden like she won't Will she, like like you were saying earlier, will she ever even have a realization that, like, oh, gosh, I didn't choose this? She was ripe for the picking. Yeah, yeah. she was ripe for the picking. She was very vulnerable. Um, and, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, seeing her transformation, that that was the scariest part. Because, yeah, like you said, like, once I realized, like, oh, this was predestined and, and she fell into it, you're right. It's a huge bummer because, you're, you know, there's there's no real resolve for her, even, like, a violent one, you know. It's just, it's just sad, you know, always around. And like you said, like when Christian kind of comes out and he's sort of seeing everything for what it is, that's one thing though in the film, like, I guess to this point is no one actually lies about what's happening there. I mean, you could argue that there's lying by omission, Mm -hmm. um, but everyone says, you know, welcome home, this and that, like they call, um, the, the, uh, the elder, like sacrificial or suicide ritual, like exactly what it is. You know, I and that was another thing I've I've gone back and I found really interesting that I watched. Like, Pele doesn't does not lie to her, like at all, um, and that's also very disturbing, right? It's just very high level manipulation, um, so, and that's what makes it just so like uh, again when you when you see these things and you go back and watch it, it's 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 just wild. And again, like, but at, at this at that point when he runs out and he's seeing all of these ritualistic deaths and sacrifices, it's like, Oh shit, here it is. Like there is no going back now at this point. And like looking back at all of this, like it was, it was getting to this point, you know, now I'm screwed. Now I'm in a bear and my girlfriend hates me. And 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm probably going to get picked to burn. Yep. So, um, what other, is there, is there any other like religious imagery or symbols or significant points that you have in your notes that you wanted to bring up? Um, astrology, I didn't realize was a really big, well, I mean, I guess this would be religious aspect to certain cultures, but, um, astrology plays a really big part. Like, um, I found articles and articles and articles on this and, uh, it's kind of interesting. I think when they say that, um, they mention at one time where Christian and who's the, I'm terrible with names. Uh, Maja. Maja. That they're a perfect astrological match. I think Christian, astrology portion, I think Christian was a Leo. She was an an Aquarius. Danny was a Cancer and Pele was a Taurus. And it was interesting. Someone pointed out that all of the Taurus and um, outsiders were all either fire or air signs, which are considered more unstable, Mm -hmm. um, less traditional. And, all of the people within the village are either earth or water signs, which are a little bit more, you know, I guess muted traditional in that sense. So there was a lot of astrological play happening. And on that, you kind of touched on it too. Um, the number nine Mm -hmm. uh, uh, numerology, you know, kind of played a big part. I think, I think you dove into or could dive into that a little bit better than I could, but I do recognize that that was, that was a, a really big part of it. There were nine total sacrifices, right? Mm-hmm. Nine. I mean, as far as like numerically, that is the end of a cycle. And- yeah. I went on kind of a rabbit hole with the nine thing because mm-hmm. I noticed a couple of things and then started picking at that thread and it's like, it's vast, mm-hmm. like in many different like religious practices, nine has meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it means it, it said that nine was the number of of completion, like the end of a cycle, which can mm-hmm. be lots of things. But it's it's also it's not just like the end. It's also like I'm trying to think of uh, how it was worded. It's almost like the end that brings about a beginning, like nine months of pregnancy. Right. So you have nine mm-hmm. months of pregnancy, but it's in order to give birth to this new thing. And mm-hmm. um so that that's that was supposed to signify like the end of Christian and Danny's relationship, and then like the birth of her as the May Queen. Um, mm. So it's like it has almost like two meanings, but also you know three is a whole holy number, and so you've mm. got nine is three threes, which is significant <laughs> in both uh, Jewish uh, yeah Jewish and Christian tradition. Nine is like a number of new birth, of course. This festival lasts nine days. And I've seen people confused about Pele says, oh, we do this every 90 years. And Ari Esther clarified that because I was confused too. The Midsummer Festival happens every single year and it's nine days. It's the Mm. sacrifice of nine people that happens every 90 years. And that's like a sacrifice to the sun. Mm. Um, so that, that was a little, that's something that's can be a little bit fuzzy, but that's the, the 90 year versus the, Ooh. the nine year thing. So yeah, there's just, there's, there's nines everywhere. There's nines all over the place. If you guys want to go on a nine rabbit hole, like I did, <laughs> you might be my guest. <laughs> you reminded me too, like speaking of astrology and all of that too. So, um, Christian, I think like based on their, their astrological signs, Danny, Danny would be so she's Cancer represented, which is represented by the Moon. Pele is represented by the Earth because he's a Taurus. Christian is represented by the Sun because he's a Leo. Um, in the Earth, in in traditional like mythology, 
has this sort of love affair with the moon, right? Which is why the earth changes its tides for the moon and, you know, um, things fall under like the circadian rhythm with the moon. So I thought that was kind of interesting too. But another thing you reminded me of when we're talking about the threes, father, son, Holy ghost, blah, blah, blah. Um, we have Christian. And then did you notice that all of his friends all have, um, the same names as they're all biblical names or Mm -hmm. disciples of Jesus. I did I notice was pretty that. interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't know why I didn't catch that the first time, but obviously it's Christian. And then we have Mark, we have Josh, Joshua. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Pele, I know is actually a form of, I think Peter, Peter. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Oh, and Danny is Daniel. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. we got a lovely little mishmash and well, and you know, Peter was like, Peter's like the all-star disciple disciple he's like you know jesus is like mm-hmm. number one and mm-hmm. pele they call him uh they tell him that he's basically excellent and has unclouded judgment you know so mm-hmm. that i wonder if that that's kind of the significant the significance there because his brother also brought simon and connie so mm-hmm. he he brought part of it but like pele did all of the heavy lifting so he's sort of right. like a superstar disciple in that group mm. and he um Oh man. Yeah. He, uh, or I wanted to say too, I think, isn't Peter one of, or I want to say he might be the only one, at least one that they go into detail on, but wasn't he one of the only saints that was crucified upside down? Yeah. I think he's the only one. And I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if this is biblical or if this is just lore, but he asked mm-hmm. to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same manner of Christ. He thought he wasn't worthy. So I thought that was kind of, that's kind of interesting too, especially when we're playing with like Christian and pagan elements. Mm-hmm. We have Christian who's like the antithesis of right a jerk off, right? <laughs> but he has this name Christian. And then you have Pele who is, you know, pagan in every, you know, sense of the word. <laughs> and he represent, representing Peter who was crucified upside down. You have the inverted cross, which, you know, mm-hmm. take that as, as you will. But um, I wondered about that too, um, if there was sort of a nod you know, in, in that regard. Um, I also found, I looked into bear symbolism a little bit, Mm. um, which wasn't super fruitful in the context of this movie because it was mostly in most, most cultures, like a noble thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I found one random like Bible study that gave, that had a different meaning for it. And it, uh, it says that bear symbolism is, Somebody who is unkind or speaks cross and angry words. The bear mm. is certainly a very cross animal. The name that was given to it in the Bible means a grumbler or a growler. And I was like, if that grumbler. isn't Christian, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and I mean, you've, he- you've heard that expression. Like you call somebody, oh, you're just being an old bear, you mm-hmm. know? So I'm like, there must be some, uh, some roots in, in that, you know, I'm like, I feel like there's some, some truth to that. And then, um, they do this like lovely, you know, play on imagery again, like Ari Aster says, look at the walls, right? Uh, oh. when Danny is laying in her bed and she has that poster of the little girl, it's the Swedish artist, I forget his name, but it's a little girl kind of confronting the bear. And I want to mm-hmm. say the name of the piece is like poor little bear, poor bear, something like that. Um, So it's kind of interesting to see the juxtaposition of this little tiny fragile girl with this bear, but this bear looks very like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, kind of at the mercy of, you know, this little girl. 
So that's kind of interesting, but yeah, there's, there's, there's so much. Well, Um, I loved, you just brought it up, but I love all of the, um, the artwork on the walls Mm -hmm. and like (gasps) the sleeping house. And we see that tapestry with basically the mating ritual on it with like the menstrual blood and the drink, Mm -hmm. which of course is another moment in the movie where everybody's like, Oh, his, Ooh, his beverage is orange. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But that reminded me of like, you know, the illuminated manuscript, like versions of the Bible. And uh, that's just, man, that the detail of the art in this movie is just fantastic. But yeah, you see, Basically, he's telling you what's going to happen in the story if you pay mm-hmm. attention to all of those right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is just a great little bit of filmmaking, I think. And the flowers, too. Um, I mean, so I've actually read through the Midsummer script, and he goes into great detail about what types of flowers that they use, but the ones that are really prominent in the movie, especially when the tourists are like first walking into the village and they walk through like that big sun, like wooden sculpture, mm-hmm. they're yellow flowers and yellow flowers are very indicative of like sacrifice. Oh, so interesting. Yeah. So that's actually, I guess now that we're talking about it, not only does Pele not really lie or exaggerate through it, but Ari Aster is giving you literally everything from the very beginning. So yeah, there's this, yeah. Wow. Now that I'm thinking about it again, like there's this great play of like, honesty but like deception it's like man how do you how do you balance the two so well but again like could argue that that's a that that could that's a very prominent element in um cult-like activity absolutely (laughs) religions yeah absolutely yeah so i think we're we're drawing towards a close here we're drawing towards a wrap-up so as part of our like final thoughts we've talked about kind of some of the most disturbing moments but what moments and or themes just resonate with you personally in this movie? It could be religious or not, but just like what, what makes you love it? What really sticks with you? Oh, it's going to sound kind of messed up. But again, one of my favorite things for you watching it is even though this seemed like a predestined path for Danny and she was highly manipulated to take this route, um, Pele's genuine love and interest in Danny when you rewatch it, he's always looking at her, always listening to her. Um, and there's a very, like, you, I don't know, just the, the mixed feelings that it gives you because it's like you almost kind of feel sucked into that, you know, that like play of whatever's happening, right? Oh, he's very charming. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, very attentive, seemingly very sensitive. Um I really love the artwork in it. Um, I actually researched, he did the tapestry. I think his name is Moy Pan. And he does a lot of just um, very active scenes with things like that. He does a lot with animals, but it's a lot, they, they feel very biblical in that, in that sense. Um, a lot of battles or, you know, things of that nature happening. So the artwork really resonated with me. Um, and like you said, the fact that this, ha- this all happens during the day, not only just the day, but perpetual daylight. At no point does it get dark, which I think is actually, I don't know if it's true in that region, but there are regions where, where that does happen. And maybe that's where the 99 years things come, or 90 years things come from. But anyway, so just a couple things like that. And then um, the last thing, I guess, is, I mean, I hate to say it because it just feels so obvious, but man, the way they show the ritual deaths, that is just some of like the craziest, creepiest, like coolish I have ever seen. Um, how they stuff the bodies, how they kind of call back to some of those, like, like one of the um, 
common forms of like Viking torture, for example, was the blood eagle, right? That interplay of like, which makes it even spookier, right? Like these um, very true methods of torture that were practiced versus like, you know, maybe some exaggerated versions, not really knowing what's real or what's um, made up. It's pretty interesting, but I just loved like the visual quality of that. Like that movie made me even just like with flowers. I never really looked at flowers like the same way again. There's something kind of ominous about seeing all that color and like, I don't know, midsummer ruined flowers for me. (laughs) I mean, it is like very grotesquely beautiful. And um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's that's one of Ari Aster's qualities. Hereditary was the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, But even after they've skinned Mark, when they set up his little like gesture puppet, like in the temple, Mm -hmm. that that thing is creepy, but like so creepy. Yeah, but like somehow all the stuff is just well crafted. All this, mm-hmm. all this disturbing stuff is just like really well crafted, and so there's this beauty to it. And even like, man, whoever designed, whoever art directed, just even that yellow temple mm. in that green oh. field is just so striking. It's so striking. I feel like every frame of this you could like put as your desktop wallpaper, or you could frame it and put it mm-hmm. in your house. You know, it's. Mm-hmm. It's also gorgeous. Um, yeah. I think for me, I still, even after exploring, you know, the, the religious aspects of this movie, to me, the toxic relationship themes just hit me like a ton of bricks um, mm. because I was in an on-again, off-again, four-year relationship in my late teens and early 20s that was just awful. And, like... Mm-hmm. Um, like he wasn't a bad person, but we were bad for each other. We just brought out the worst in each other and, you know, neither one of us could like get out and stay out. Mm. And, uh, you know, when you see people who are in like legit abusive relationships or just your best friends dating a loser, like you can't tell them to get out. And even if they know they want out when you're stuck in a relationship like that, it's the hardest thing in the world to get out. Mm. And so watching their relationship, it just rang so true for me. And it was like therapy for me. I've been married for 14 years. My husband's fantastic. This, this bad relationship is far in the past. And and it was far in the past when I watched Midsummer in 2019. But when I watched Midsummer, I was like, this is helping me in ways I didn't mm. know I needed. Like someone else understands. Strangely validating. Yes. <laughs> it has like translated it, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I still felt that like Christian shouldn't been shouldn't have been killed in the end, even though I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> that to me is what's always really going to hit me hardest. And mm-hmm. Ari Aster, uh, there was an interview I saw with him where he was talking about like all his favorite breakup movies and um he said that he hopes that the legacy of midsummer is that people watching watch it when they're going through a really bad breakup so (laughs) yeah um so yeah that and then of course we've already talked about you know danny's manipulation and kind of where she is at the end and that that's the other thing that's the other thing that that really sticks with with me and makes me think more especially this time because the first Mm. time you watch midsummer you're just along for the ride and you're not Mm -hmm. sure how you feel. So this time knowing what was coming, I was able to sort of 
watch everybody's motivations differently and really, really follow Danny in a more detailed way. And yeah, at the end of the movie, I was just kind of like, well, I wish I could be friends with her, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, hey girl, we, we need to talk. Like we need yeah. to, yeah. Steer her in a different direction. And just on a completely mm-hmm. unrelated note, can we talk about the fact that Danny is an absolute mess. Her clothes are a mess. Mm-hmm. Her hair is a mess. She doesn't care. And, and Florence Pugh is still a vision of beauty. Oh, absolutely. 110%. <laughs> Sweatpants and all. <laughs> I know. I was like, how is she so cute in the frumpiest clothes I've ever seen in a messy bun? Like, yeah. oh my gosh. <laughs> and then she's such a cute May Queen. It's like it was she meant really for is. her. Imagine <laughs> that. Like, yeah, imagine that. So. <laughs> so anything else that you want to cover before we uh, we give some recommendations? Yeah, one thing, I don't know why, I've been thinking about this quote the entire time we've been talking, but just to kind of come full circle with the religion and horror, um, I know that you're a Flannery O'Connor fan, right? Oh, um, yes. Flannery O'Connor, no one knows, um, was a, a Christian Catholic realist writer um, with a very large focus on the grotesque. And I think at one point, I want to say that a group of nuns had recruited her to help write a book or a type of biography, maybe even an intro. And she had a friend who was a priest, and she sat down with the priest and the nuns, you know, um, kind of craft this bio. And one of the nuns was reviewing her work and was like, oh, why is the grotesque your calling? And she said, well, it's your calling too. And when you think about that, I think that that's very interesting when we think about, you know, religion, um, Christianity, one of the main symbols is a man who experiences very brutal death, you know, on the cross. And we walk into church seeing that symbol thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, this is beautiful and what it represents is beautiful. So, um, I think that it's made me appreciate, you know, that, that element of horror in religion. It makes me wonder if religion would feel as powerful without, you know, some element of, of horror violence, you know, attributed to it. Well, I would say no, of course, but, um, (laughs) you know, I think, uh, for, of course I can speak to Christianity and I would, I would venture to say that most religions have this in common, but the reason why it resonates with humanity is because of the human element, you know, it's Mm. all in there. And that includes death and violence and dark, difficult things. You know, these are things that we have to address and we have to contend with. And I think if, our religion didn't didn't address it and contend with it as well. It wouldn't ring true, you know. Mm. So, um, so I think, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Woo. So, uh, so the the world needs people like us who can uh, who can deal with the darker, weirder things. You know, not everybody has to be a weirdo, but I am proud to be one. Absolutely. It's my calling. That's why you're one of my favorite people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, for the people at home. What would you recommend for similar media, movies, books, stories, whatever? Oh um, well, let me see. I think for film, I mean, there's a couple obvious ones, right? There's uh, Wicker Man, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 100%. Yes, um, which kind of feels like a no-brainer, but it actually took me a really long time to finally um, sit and watch that one. I, I really enjoyed it. Um I would say The Ritual, too. That one was, I wasn't quite sure, you know, how I was going to feel about that one when I watched it. But it was actually, I was I was pretty happy with it. Um, um, is that the one where the group of guys goes out into the woods and they encounter yes. 
something yes. supernatural <laughs> that we will not spoil. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that one was surprising. I was very pleased with that one. Um, Rosemary's Baby has that yes. sort of religious, you know, um, and hor- or religion and horror element to it. Woman in a strange kind of situation being taken advantage of. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and even hereditary, you know, hereditary has that, that kind of family element. We got the cult element in there. Um, so that for films, for books, um, one of my favorites, again, if we're talking cults is road to Jonestown and I'm a complete Jonestown nerd. Um, and that was one of the, not only the coolest like Jonestown, um, pieces of literature I've read, but just Jonestown in general, uh, it's, you talk about high level of manipulation and predestined uh, manipulation. That that's that's a really great um, a great example. And then there's actually a podcast called Transmissions from Jonestown. It's phenomenal, um, and they they do some deep diving um, into Jonestown, the tapes, the death tape, all of that good stuff. So um, those are some of my personal favorites. I will have to check out all that Jonestown stuff because I'm covering the sacrament in two months, two months. So there'll be lots more Jonestown speak to come from me. So I need to listen to that. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Well, hit me up. Let me know. I got all kinds of Jonestown references for you. (laughs) All right. Um, And that reminds me too, I have something to share with you uh, off, off the record. Oh, okay. Recording. Yeah. Um, so I also have the Wicker Man on my list because it's the Wicker Man is the all time folk horror Mm. and clearly very directly inspired this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, it's another movie I've only seen once, but I'm sure I will be covering it on this show at some point. So I need to dive back in. Um, I would also recommend a kill list, Mm. which is a British film made, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago at this point. Um, but it's also kind of culty, folk horror-ish, and the movie seems like one thing up into a point, and then you find out it's kind of something else. Also, The Village, I would say. Oh, uh, of the course, village. The Village is much quainter than this movie, but it's another one of those not-what-it-seems movies, mm. and it's another mm-hmm. movie where you're, like, trying to figure out what's going on here. Um and I think uh, when you do find out what's going on here, it's very satisfying. Other people feel a different way, but whatever. <laughs> um, and also it's that quaint, folksy, community, you know, rural, agrarian type situation. So so even though the tone is very different, I feel like some of the same kind of themes and atmosphere are present. And then, of course, uh, I would say you need to read The Lottery by Shirley Jackson, if you have not, because again, it's very, you've got this little community and what they do to survive and to thrive. Uh, And at the end, it is very disturbing. Um, So if you did not read it and were traumatized as a child in school, you need to read it and be traumatized as an adult. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Sunny, thank you again for coming on. This has been fantastic. I am very happy that you're my first guest uh, for this series. Um, but tell the people where they can find you and your work. Well, I have a couple projects. Um, you know, like Nicole, I'm a big weirdo as well. So most of my projects are pretty fun and creepy. Um, I have a zine um, that I publish right now. It's it's yearly because it's so massive. But um, it's called Negative Creep. That is on Instagram. 
I also still have the Witch of Lakeland, which is on Instagram, which is a really fun um, story, true story about a suspected murder slash disappearance of a young 17-year-old boy in Lakeland, supposedly um, perpetuated by a witch. So check that out. Um, I also have an art collective. I help run weird art shows. It's called Volume Art Collective, um, also on Instagram. And then I have my personal um, Instagram page, which is arrows.in.arrows, E-R-O-S. And I'm sure Nicole can throw a link or a tag on there. Yes, you'll be tagged. (laughs) You'll be tagged in all the things. And then people can pretty much find all your other stuff through there as well, right? You're always promoting stuff on your own account. Yeah. Exactly. Sunny has um, a plethora of of fun (laughs) projects going on. But talking about Witch of Lakeland reminded me, have you listened to uh, the Bone Valley podcast? No. Have you heard of it? No. Well, it's, it's right up your alley because it's true crime and it's about a woman named Michelle Schofield who was murdered in Lakeland in the 80s. It's very well put together, and it's just so specifically Lakeland, even though it happened so long ago. Like, Grady Judd is on there for an episode, and, like, they just – they talk about all these, like, streets and locations, and you're like, that's home. Oh, my gosh. How am I not doing this? Yep. I'm plugging it in right now. Thank you. That's awesome. Very cool. You'll love it. You'll love it. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Well, that is it for us today. Thanks for joining as usual. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Light and Shadow Pod. I also have a Patreon you can subscribe to if you'd like to throw me a few bones. Um, next month is going to be The Mist, and I am going to be uh, joined by um, Andy from the Straight Chilling Podcast. So uh, in the meantime, watch The Mist. And until next time, stay spooky. Stay spooky.